Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Commercial Property Investor Podcast, where it's my job to introduce you to people from the world of commercial property. We're talking with investors and thought leaders about their experiences of the commercial property world and sharing our own lessons from the last 20 years to give you practical know-how so that you can follow in their footsteps. If you've ever thought commercial could be your next step, but it just seems too confusing and opaque, then you've come to the right place. There are so many exciting opportunities in this dynamic sector, and I'm looking forward to pulling back the curtain and sharing them with you. Welcome back to the Commercial Property Investors Podcast, where we aim to give you the knowledge and confidence to move from residential into commercial property investment. And I'm your host, Jerry Alexander. This week, I'm really happy to introduce you to a different asset class. We're going to be talking about investing into commercial forestry. A few years ago, myself and a good friend invested in a 56-acre woodland, and then we sold on at a pretty good price four years later. He told me a few things about this exciting sector, and I really want to expand on that today with a special guest. There are two assets involved in woodland or forest transactions, namely the standing timber and, of course, the land itself. And I believe many of the principles that we apply to commercial also apply to this asset class. However, there are some key differences and some really interesting financial advantages to talk about. So to that end, I'm really excited to be joined by Dave Robertson of Scottish Woodlands. Dave has many years of experience in the industry from both the operational side and working with investors. In fact, he was even involved in the sale of our own little patch of wooded paradise. Dave, hi, thank you so much for giving us some of your time today. So Dave, you're based all the way up in Inverness. Um, I'm based about two hours south of you on a, a narrow strip of road that we've, we, we both love. Um, could you maybe tell us a little bit about yourself, Dave, how you got involved in woodland? Just a bit of background for the listeners when did you first get involved in forestry and, and what's your role now? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we're, we're, we're fellow A9 warriors, so uh, we're, we're well used to that patch of road. Um, I, I first drove up the A9 in, um, in late, the late 80s to look at the, the Scottish School of Forestry as a, as a career choice. And, you know, it was interesting at that point um, in that I was turned down by the School of Forestry at that stage because I didn't have enough experience. And at that point, there was a, a requirement for those coming into the industry to, you know, to have a, a really good background knowledge of the, the, you know, the, the industry that we're coming into. Um, so I came into forestry straight out of school in 1988, um, at the age of 17, and worked on local estates around about the Brecon area, um, Carrison Estate, um, and, and several others. And... Um, really took that to a stage of, of studying at the School of Forestry, uh, where I started in, in 1992, I think. Qualified from the School of Forestry in 1995 um, with a forestry management qualification. Um, and at that stage, I moved on to private forestry management roles. Um, I worked with a private consultant for nine years in North Scotland, North and Northeast Scotland then moved to work with several firms of chartered surveyors. Um, again, all in forestry management roles, residential estates, highland estates, um, farms and, and, and that type of thing, an investment slant to them. I joined Scottish Woodlands 2006 
um, in a, a senior manager role in North Scotland. And, and before I took on my, my current role in the investment department, I was heading up the North Scotland region for, for Scottish Woodlands. So that was four offices across the north, um, 18 staff and a, and a fairly significant turnover. I moved into the role that I'm in now, which is the, the investment manager role and, and most latterly director of investment for Scottish Woodlands in 2016. And in that role, we are really assisting our existing clients in getting the best out of their investment assets. But one of my major roles is also encouraging new investors to come into the, into the sector and, and, and really guiding these new investors into you know, what we feel is a very exciting asset class. Brilliant. Thank you for that intro. Um, Forestry's been known for years for its tax advantages, and there's been different stages where people have um, talked about the rich and famous being involved in forestry, and, and there's been some changes yeah. since then as well. Could you perhaps elaborate on where we're at with tax on forestry. It, it's a fascinating subject. It's one of those asset classes that definitely has an advantage in terms of tax. Could you perhaps bring us up to speed where things are at? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think what you're, what you're obviously referred to in your introduction there as well, Jerry, is that you know, the, the, the name forestry had in the late 80s for, um, it wasn't tax evasion, tax avoidance, I would say, um, through the old Schedule B, Schedule D tax flip that could be carried out, where a lot of high-profile investors invested in forestry to offset tax liabilities that they had. And I think at, you know, at that stage, that drove a lot of, it certainly drove a lot of afforestation. It drove a lot of poor decisions in the types of land that, that were planted and, um, and, and ultimately they were, were bought. Um, that really came to head in 1988 um, with the, the loss in budget where, where that, that tax advantage was removed from forestry at that point. And it was really to do predominantly with the flow country and, and afforestation of areas that shouldn't have been planted. Now, interestingly, a lot of those areas that were planted at that point are now the major productive forests that we, that we benefit from today. So not everything was bad about them, but you know, there's no doubt there was bad practice involved. Um, Rolling forward to where we are now, and if you pardon the pun, forestry has sort of turned over a new leaf. Um, we, are, we are very highly regulated under the, the UK forestry standard um, and you know, the consultees like Scottish Forestry, um, who are the, the government body, and SNH are very much in tune with what we're doing and we are very much in tune with what they expect of us. So highly regulated in that regard. Uh, we still benefit from fairly significant tax um, uh, advantages. Income tax, we have zero income tax on either timber output or grant, out, grant income from, uh, from a forestation. Um, inheritance tax is another major driver for investors. Uh, there is a, a zero inheritance tax to pay under the, the business property relief um, regulations, um, and that's after two years of ownership. So, you know, a really big incentive for those who are looking, perhaps at retirement age, to, to shelter wealth. Um, capital gains tax as well. Uh, we benefit from a, a, a very advantageous um, basis where only the value of the underlying land is taxed to capital gain. Um, the growth of the forest, which makes up the majority of the, the, the value growth in forestry, is not um, taxed under capital gains. 
again, very, um, very good opportunity to grow significant capital gains out with the realms of, of, of increased tax liability. And, and, and tied to that, capital, capital gains rollover relief is, is, is very important. Those with qualifying assets can roll over into forestry, into bare land only, and offset any capital gains that they've made in other qualifying assets into forestry. And they can shelter that um, until the period that they sell that asset or if they hold that until death, they can actually they can actually um, release that capital gain, uplift charged capital gain. So you know, quite a quite a suite of important aspects there for us to deal with. So if you, for instance, um, you may have a customer that has just sold a business, has maybe um, been working on all their life, and they're looking at potentially quite a large tax bill. Um, is that sometimes a way they can roll over that? money if they're investing in forestry would that be one of your client types yes it is exactly and you know that's the type of people that we have if they're selling qualifying assets they can come come to us and and you know go into and it's important to stress you can only buy bare land in that process so you're right. looking at, at new land for forestation you can't buy timber or trees as part of that transaction but you know it's a it opens up a, a realm of opportunity for us to you know to to, to help people um, with some of these issues it, it, it's very important to stress that, that, that the majority of these taxation benefits only come from the management of what, what's deemed to be commercial woodland. Yeah. Um, so it has to be woodland which is managed for the, um, the, the generation of profit. Um, so if you're buying an amenity woodland, um, it's, it's, it's more difficult um, and, and often not possible to, you know, to, to meet any of these benefits. Um, so in that case, it's, it's very important to have management plans in place. It's very important to have dialogue with a, a, with a forest manager and a forest management plan in place to make sure that at the end of your investment period, you actually qualify for the benefits uh, that these taxation reliefs give. It's definitely um, a good point to just say, um, we're obviously not giving advice here. We're sharing this concept as a, as a strategy, but you know, it, it's, it's well worth um, looking into. Just going on your point there about people buying bare land um, to be able to qualify for the rollover, there are then other benefits, are there involved in the actual planting? Sometimes there's grants available for tree planting or perhaps some of the fencing, is that correct, Dave? Yeah, that's correct. You know. Forestry in Scotland is extremely well supported by the, the Scottish government and, and UK government um, as well. Um, we have very strong targets for forestation in Scotland. And for many years, we've, we've picked along at a relatively low level. But again, really in, in relation to carbon sequestration and the, and the government's goals to meet the, the requirements of the Kyoto Protocol and the Paris Agreement, there's a real push to, to, to develop forestry, partly to, to sequester carbon, but, but you know, forestry has an, an extremely important role in the rural economy of Scotland. You know, it's a billion pound economy, it's employing 25,000 people. These people tend to be in fragile rural areas, so it, you know, it's very important to the economy. So you know, the Scottish Government are very supportive. The, the, the grant scheme is, is integral to that. Um, we work under a, a grant scheme called the Forestry Grant Scheme. Um, and under that scheme, you can, uh, you can obtain grants between £2,800 and £6,200 per hectare, depending on the type of, of 
uh, plantation that you're creating, the type of forestry that you're creating. Over and above that, there's lots of additional capital payments for fencing and, and uh, other aspects of management that are required. So there is a, you know, there's a very good stimulus there um, to make sure that, that you know, investors and new entrants into the, into the industry are really well supported. Brilliant. Okay, and just let's just talk about the industry a little bit more. What what is the actual size of the market? This the Scottish market. Um, well, the, the the market in the UK in general, and uh, it's probably worthwhile covering the market in the UK in general because yeah. Scotland is Scotland is the, the predominant aspect of that. I mean, Scotland is. If you love to travel like me and you understand the power in escaping the money for time exchange trap, but you just don't know how to do it, then building an Airbnb consultancy business could be exactly what you have been looking for. Right now in the UK, there is a completely untapped opportunity through helping struggling Airbnb hosts by turning around their underperforming properties and generating you huge commission payments in the process. We are going to teach you all of the tools and all of the techniques that we've learned over the last five years through building our very own multiple six-figure Airbnb business, arming you with everything that you need to swoop in and save the day. Minimal startup costs, zero risk, and almost unlimited potential. Sound good? Welcome to the Airbnb Consultant. Contact us through any of the channels included in the studio notes to get the conversation started. About eighty percent covers about eighty percent of the sales of UK forestry, because the majority of investment forestry is based in Scotland. The ten-year average um, value of sales is about one hundred million pounds per year, and, and the ten-year average area is about fifteen thousand hectares per annum. So it's a relatively small, it's a relatively small market. Um, it's worthwhile saying that's the on-market trade that we see. There's also a significant amount of off-market sales happen. Sounds, and, sounds familiar. Know, I, 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 I see you smiling on the, on the video on the video conference here, and it, you know, it sounds very familiar to you know, to your commercial property transaction. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of activity off market. You know, we spend a lot of our time trying to find these off market opportunities for our clients because you know, with a willing buyer and a willing seller, there's often a, a you know a really good opportunity for both sides to do a to do a good structured deal and not have the problems potentially associated with on market transactions. Um, you know, so you know that's where we concentrate a lot of our efforts, especially in new planting land. It's a very much part of our services to try and find that type of opportunity for clients. Yeah. So you know, we you know we think off-market sales are you know could be up to the same sort of value, up to the same sort of volume, perhaps another hundred million, perhaps another fifteen thousand. Um, it's you know it will vary year to year, but but that's definitely a possibility. Wow. Yeah, it's definitely similar to bricks and mortar. A lot of these deals do happen off market um, or yeah. at least under the market. The agents know about them, but they don't actually officially go on the market. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and very common with us too. Yeah. What, what is the size of the actual timber sales market? Timber sales market, I mean, in the UK, um, in the UK we are selling around about 9 million cubic metres of timber per year, between 9 and 10 million cubic metres a year. Um, that that varies that varies depending on demand, and it's and it's worthwhile noting that you know the UK still imports around about eighty percent of all its timber requirements. So we are very very reliant on the um, on imports coming into the UK. As far as 
as far as values concerned, um, you know the the you know we're seeing we're seeing significant changes in value of timber, or we have seen significant changes in the in the past few years, as as demand comes on. We're obviously very open to exchange rate fluctuations, and with the, the pound sterling being being in a, a relatively low state against the euro for for a prolonged period, that's beneficial to growers in the UK. Uh, so we are benefiting from high import costs, and because we are price takers, not price makers, um, it means that we we benefit from those high import costs. To give you an example of that, you know, the year the year to March 18 saw roughly a 25% increase in timber values in the UK. The year to March 19 saw a, approximately the same. Um, unfortunately, the year to March 20 has seen a, a slight downturn. We're down 12% over that period. The reasons for that have have really been sort of beetle infestations in Central Europe. So a lot of material has been taken to the market uh, between storms and, and beetle infestations where timbers had to be felled for, for sanitary reasons in, in Eastern France, Western Germany. And that's, that's tended to flood the market. So we've, you know, we have fluctuations happening like that um, you know, on, a, on an annual basis, but the, the upward trend is, is extremely strong um, and you know, we can we can live with a 12% decrease when we've seen a, a 25% increase in the previous two years. And back to yeah. the point earlier on, the land is does have capital um, gains if the land value goes up, but if the timber value goes up, that's a different kettle of fish. Yeah, and you know when you look at when you look at the impact that that has on property values, you know we are we are seeing you know the 12% average increase in, in capital value of properties. Um, across the, the the analysis that we've done is is around about twelve percent per annum yeah. capital increase in these properties. Um, if you look at a, a more concentrated period, the last four years, um, it's around about thirteen and a half percent year on year capital increase. Gee. And you know the long term average, twenty five year average is, is in purely commercial assets is is around about nine point two percent. So I mean it's an extremely strong capital returns that we that we've benefited from in the industry. Yeah, well, jumping forward for a second, um, some I think some people, certainly I, when I originally looked at woodland and, and forestry, think of it as a long-term investment based obviously on the fact the crop rotation is pretty significant period of time. But it yeah. doesn't necessarily mean that forestry isn't quite liquid. It's certainly more liquid than I first thought uh, as an asset class. Um, and, and back to your example of somebody buying raw land, planting trees, some of the listeners may be thinking, well, okay, I'm going to have to wait for 50 years, but that's not actually the case, is it? What, what, what do you think about liquidity? No it's, no, it's not. Liquidity, as far as I'm concerned, is, is extremely similar to, extremely comparable to either residential or commercial property. If you're a willing buyer and willing seller and a, and a, and a set of lawyers who talk to each other, then you can carry out a transaction within, within a month. Um, you know, marketing properties, um, you know, if you're marketing property on the market, um, you obviously have a build-up process into that, um, and then a, a marketing process, and that takes up that takes up time. But the you know the, the the friction in that is no different to commercial or residential. You know you've got your lead-up, you've got your transactional time, and you've got your legal time. Um, you know, no reason why you couldn't market a property and, and and have it sold within three months. If you wanted to do it off-market, it's probably possible to do it within a month. Um, you know, so liquidity is really not um, an issue, and you know, certainly what we're seeing are a lot of active buyers in the market who are 
are willing to take up opportunities if, if properties become available. Um, so n never, a, never a consideration of, of concern for us um, being able to sell clients for us. Yes. It's being able to find for us is the issue. Really. Well, of course, yeah. And it might be worth just introducing at this point that um, there are, at least from my side look at looking in, that, that there do seem to be two different types of forestry. And, and, I'm, and I'm interchanging the word woodland and forestry here because there is a market for amenity woodland, which is perhaps yeah. more the smaller lot size. They may have some of the more popular commercial timber in there, some of the, some of the softwoods and things, but actually they might be a mixed deciduous wood. Um, it, the value is more in um, perhaps a family wanting a small space, small woodland for themselves. Perhaps they have an affinity for trees. I personally love wood. <laughs> but, you know, it, that's really quite a different market from a 200-hectare um, Sitka spruce plantation. Yeah. So, you know, what, what, what is your typical client, bearing in mind there are those two differences between or two different types of forestry? Yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's very interesting, actually, because, you know, we, we, we end up generally with one type of client that, sort of melds into another so we end up with or we start off with people who are interested in forestry because of its community aspects sometimes and because of its um, because of the benefits it can give as you say a, a space for a family to go and recreate you know you've got the the, the, the hunting movement in Scotland you know the potential to build a small off-grid cabin or, or that type of thing and you know we we get a lot of inquiries from people who have this romanticized view of woodland ownership and it, and it works for a lot of people you know it works for it works for most and um, quite often those people turn into over time quite serious forestry investors because they see the benefits of owning woodlands they, they you know they, they feel the benefits of being in the woodland they they get more into it they understand a bit more about timber sales they understand a bit more about assets and as they have you know available cash to to invest they start to invest in different aspects and, and quite often move into into commercial um, but they are—they're really what I would class as lifestyle investors, certainly initially, um, and and they would—I would say that they are a, quite a small percentage of what we do, maybe twenty percent of what we do. Um, commercial investors are are really our main our main sort of um, involvement in assisting people in acquiring um, you know, potentially commercial or, or productive forests. Um, and, and they're really looking at the pounds and pence. You know, they're looking at the returns. They're looking at the tax advantages. They're looking at wealth preservation um, uh, aspects of, of um, perhaps later life. And, we, you know, we have to have, you know, a lot of our clients are, are potentially retired. They have um, disposable cash to look at, um, you know, investing in a portfolio of assets. And, and forestry is... is very much often not the, the first asset that they're investing in. They will be investing in residential property, commercial property. They'll they'll have a managed fund somewhere, um, and they come to forestry as something that perhaps an advisor has said it's something they might want to have a look at. Um, and it's 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 something that interests people, even on the commercial aspect. It still gives them a feel good feeling. You know, it still gives you know it still gives them that 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 asset that they can go and look at it's a real asset they can go and visit it and um, they can hug a tree or they can kick a tree depending how they how they feel on any given day um you know so we've got a real a real mixture a real mixture it's interesting the entry point there you're talking about 
saying that a lot of clients will come to you and perhaps look at amenity or something a bit smaller. And, yeah. and it's so similar to commercial property where yeah. people, when they're starting out, best thing is start small, learn the ropes, get in the swim. And then of course, as, as we've discussed earlier on, you then get into the market. And sometimes it can be quite difficult when you're on the outside looking in, trying to work out how this, how does this whole beast work? But of course, by starting small, making those introductions, getting to know people and how things work allows you to move on to bigger investments. So it, it, it's so important to start at the right place and not yeah. just dive in when yeah. and you it, perhaps it, need to learn a little bit more um, cheaply, shall we say. Yeah. And, you know, we, all, we often have people coming to us and saying, you know, you know, I, I've got £50,000, you know, what can I buy for £50,000? And, and the answer is it's probably not a great deal, but you could, you know, get yourself a five or seven hectare woodland, you know, somewhere on the edge of a farm, you know, that, that you know, it's a really nice amenity property. If you want to expose yourself to the, you know, to commercial forestry at £50,000, then you're certainly not going to buy much if you're an individual investor, but, you know, you can, you can look at routes through funds perhaps. Um, you know, commercial property funds, um, but you know a lot of our a lot of our investors will maybe start with a hundred or two hundred or two hundred and fifty thousand pounds, and more often than not, will then go on to spend you know many multiples of millions on 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 larger or more complex forestry assets as they develop their their knowledge and their interest, and as we sort of guide them through that process. So it's really interesting to see how people. Um, Open up their cash availability as they yes. as they become more uh, more affair with the, the asset class itself. I guess it's it, it's probably prudent to say that leverage, which you may get in commercial property based on income, is not necessarily available in forestry. No, because the income is not so uh, <laughs> immediate. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, it's worthwhile pointing out that you know the yield in forestry. It's best to assume zero. Yes. Um, if you get better than zero yield, then you're doing quite well. And it's it's obviously you know as with any portfolio in any structure, you can you can structure a, a commercial forestry portfolio to give you some yield and develop you know to develop yield. But you've got to be very specific about how you do that. Um, but it's best to assume that it's zero. Therefore, borrowing unless you have another asset on which to to provide the income, the, you know, the yield against that uh, against that debt is quite difficult when it comes to forestry assets. Yeah. You know, we are we are working with different um, different lenders in relation to trying to develop um, forestry lending, and that's you know that's starting to mature now as well. So it's 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 definitely not um, it definitely shouldn't be ruled out, but it's not standard. People tend to be cash buyers when they're coming into this asset class. So just a question, I'm sure some people will be wondering in the mind: if I if I had a hundred thousand pounds, then can you just talk through what you typically would get in terms of acreage of bare land um, yeah. and what you would maybe get for something that's a little bit more mature that you can walk around and perhaps look and stand and wonder at their, their trees? What, what, what sort of amounts yeah, are they going to be able to get for that? Probably better to talk about the, you know, the sort of, if, you know, if you're looking at £100,000, you know, bare land, you're probably looking at somewhere around about the 20 to 25 hectares hectare mark. If you're looking at a very commercial um, property, £100,000 is not going to buy you a great deal of that. You know, we're seeing commercial properties at the moment trading in hotspots, borders, you know, very sought after areas. You know, we're seeing properties in excess of £20,000 per hectare at the current time. So £100,000 will buy you, 
we'll buy you your five hectares. Wow. Um, but, um, you know, it's, it's probably you know, better to use a price per hectare to gauge how much you can get for how much you have. Yes. You know, so I, I would say, you know, new entrant, new planting land, five thousand per hectare is probably the starting point. It really depends on location and, and quality of land as to how far beyond that you might go. Um, if you, um, and that's with an approval in place. If you go to commercial property, there's value to be sought by looking at different types of assets. And again, I think there's, there's similarities here with commercial property perhaps in that, um, you know, if you, if you go for what we would call a fixer upper, you know, a property where you can buy it, it looks a bit distressed, it looks a bit um, unloved, it's got poor access, it's, you know, it's not been maintained for many years. You could often still buy, you know, very good value properties um, in, you know, throughout Scotland. Um, you know, what, what we've seen in, in recent years is a gradual move from the, the, the focus on investment being in South Scotland, close to the market, close to the border, um, into central Scotland, and by central Scotland, we really mean Perthshire, Argyll, up into Aberdeenshire, and then gradually into the Highlands as well. So we've seen these values increasing gradually on a scale as you move further up the country, as more people become involved in investment and, and the pressure comes on some of the, uh, the more desirable areas. Again, probably very similar to what you've experienced. Yeah, it's a very interesting comparison. I think it's worth pointing out at this stage when you are investing um, in commercial, back to your point there about having a small acreage, at the end of the day, there there is definite economies for scale for actually extracting timber. So if you have five acres of lovely pristine forest, um, it's probably going to cost you the same amount of, that you're going to make in the sales to actually get a contractor in there to extract it all because these these things that it's not cheap to do is that no your... that, that, that's correct and you know you, you know you, you have certain things that you have to do to get access and you know the cost of building a, a suitable access for for lorries to take access to a forest is exactly the same for a five hectare woodland as it is for a 50 hectare woodland probably as it is for a 500 hectare woodland. so um, you know the economies of scale obviously come in, and and that that you know comes under the the realms of management as well. You know if you're if you're managing a five hectare woodland, it's obviously more expensive than a fifty hectare yeah. woodland per per unit. Okay, so just, let's just talk a little bit about the actual trees themselves. So what <laughs> what which timber is actually most demand? I mean, and some of us are, are you know we drive around the countryside, we're we're familiar with seeing um, dark green, evergreen timber standing there. And then eventually it just disappears. Uh, but of course, there are different types within that. So, what are the sort of the main areas of um, demand? Um, the, the the main commercial species in the in the UK um, and certainly in Scotland and and, and in most commercial productive uh, conifer forests is Sitka spruce. Um, Sitka spruce is really the backbone of our sawmilling industry. It's it's what the it's what the end users want. It's it's, it's a white wood. Um, it is, um, you know, it's very clean, it's very clear, it looks very good when it's sawn. Um, and that's really what the end users want, whether it's in a, a four by two to go into the construction of a, a, a panel for a house, or whether it's in a pallet, um, you know, that's, that's what people want to see. Um, so that's really the backbone and, and you know, that's, the, that's the, the sort of cash cow of the, of the, of the forestry industry. Um, 
regionally, um, Scots pine is very important. Northeast Scotland, where it grows extremely well. Um, you know, it's a, again extremely good quality wood. It's used in a lot of um, construction and fencing um, end uses. Um, so again, that's you know, it's locally locally important. Certainly, Murrayshire, uh, northeastern Aberdeenshire, Deeside, Donside, that sort of area. Um, we're also moving into you know more specialist species, Douglas fir, um, which if you grow it well and you look after it well, can can yield some very significant volumes and values. Uh, and we've seen some you know some really excellent end uses of that in log cabin construction. And when we look at broadleaves, um, you know we often miss out broadleaves in in commercial terms in in UK forestry, and we certainly shouldn't, um, because there is always a market for good quality broadleaf timber, and certainly the the, the property that you sold um, a year ago or so now, um, you know, had some really good quality broadleaves in it, which are, you know, will be of use and, and will be of interest to, to you know, to local um, carpenters and local furniture makers and, and such like, and will command probably quite, quite you know, reasonable prices. And, and often overlooked are, are undermanaged broadleaf woodlands in the, in the landscape. Um, I forget the exact statistics, but you know something like 50, 50 to sixty percent of all broadleaf woodlands in the UK are undermanaged or simply not managed. Um, these can yield significant incomes from firewood sales um, if if that's the only product you you get out of them. You know local markets are very very important for any timber sale because if you don't have to transport it, the owner gets much more of the the sales value back. Transport is often the, the, the biggest yeah. constraint in, in bringing a return to the client. That's really interesting. I, I, you mentioned there Douglas fir or Dougie fir, as myself Dougie and fir, colleague yeah. like to call it. Um, we've used that ourselves in buildings, Douglas fir, larch. They, they, when they're rough sawn, uh, untreated, the, the colours that you can get out of these products for, for panelling and building material is fantastic really like using ab that absolutely way. stunning that that orange hue that it has to it yeah. and just the, the texture of it as well you know it, it 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 really is you know it really is a stunning timber and and you know unfortunately it's you know it's 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 qualities of use are exactly the same as that of sitka spruce perhaps its qualities are actually even better strength wise um, yeah, and but it's just simply not in demand in the uk in in sawmilling terms that's right. And, and the other the great benefit of larch, you know, you can leave it outside. It's got some pretty good properties for, for stopping rot. It, it's, a, it's a great timber. We've well, used some of it so for cladding. I hope so, because the back of my house is built there you with go. it. So, uh... Yeah, I've got it on my house too. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's great. That's, what's, that's um, the different types of timber and what people may be able to sell them for if they're looking at doing that. You mentioned earlier on about timber prices, but just just to go onto the hardwoods and the firewoods, has that changed much? You mentioned earlier that recently, because of the beetle stuff and challenges in Europe, that the commercial prices of maybe more of the conifers has come down. But hardwoods, firewoods, what's your feeling on those? Hardwood, firewood has stayed pretty constant. You know, there there is a you know there's a there's been a huge amount of, of um, wood burning stove yep. stoves and you know put into people's houses, put into into rural areas, um, you know, put into, into into town areas as well. In the in the last um, ten years or so, there's a huge sort of underlying demand for you know good quality firewood, uh, you know, produced in a in a sensible commercial way. Um, and you know that and, and you know it's fair to stress at this point that you know everything that we do as a business is 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 certified. So we are we're certified under under FSC. 
Um, you know, so all the timber that's produced from the, the properties that we are managing is, is, is coming out as an FSC certified product. And, you know, that's, that's you know, guaranteeing the sustainable management of it. So, you know, there is a very good background story to the production of this type of material on, on, on these, you know, from these sites. Timber prices, in, you know, in that regard, um, <laughs> I must admit as a, as a forester, I'm quite ashamed sometimes to admit that I buy in, for it, uh, buy in firewood. And um, I certainly know that the price of it hasn't gone down um, considerably um, in, the last, uh, in the last year or so. Um, and I think that's, you know, it reflects the underlying demand that there is locally for that type of product. Yeah, we've got a, we've got a, a restaurant and in that restaurant we have a wood-burning pizza oven. Um, mm. And it's amazing how much timber you go through. And yeah. you do start to appreciate um, what people are paid for firewood because of the amount of effort it takes to feed a beast like a pizza oven yeah <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely and and you know there, there there has been exponential growth in demand for that type of material in the last you know in the last 10 years certainly yeah but it's a really good valuable product for for forest owners um, you know if they can sell if they can sell material to their neighbor um, that can be delivered in the back of a, a you know, an open-backed um, transit or, or some kind of pickup. Um, you know, they are getting back a lot more of the value of the, the, the sale than they would be if it has to travel 30 miles to go through a sawmill. Yeah, for um, sure. You know, so, so it's locally important. It's, it's not a significant part of you know, the considerations of a commercial conifer forest, um, but you know, it's very, very important to small amenity owners and... and, and um, Farmers that might have a, a you know a, an element of, of um, forestry and, and woodland on their estate on their on their property, and um, it just provides them with another income stream. That's great. Okay, so I, I think we've covered um, a few different aspects of, of commercial and amenity woodland. And if there was anybody listening who's thinking, right, okay, uh, this is kind of interesting. Um, what what would you recommend to anyone who's new to woodland and forestry? What are the key things they need to think about? Who are the key people they need to be talking to? Um, I would say that the, the, the first thing to do is, is seek advice um, before you delve too deep into it. Yeah, I think earlier on I mentioned that, that people also often sort of romanticise about owning woodland and, 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 and they get caught up in that, um, that consideration that it's a good thing to do, you know, it's... it's it, Good for the environment. It's good for you know, and it, you know the social aspect of it is is you know, is really important, and and that's absolutely correct. It is, but you know I think people need to set off on the right foot, and they need to understand the parameters of the different types of forests that they can invest in. They often need help in forming what their overall objectives might be for the investment. You know, are they looking to move into, um, are they looking to move into something more commercial? So I mean, the main thing I would say is is seek advice, you know, hunt out your local friendly um, forestry investment specialist, uh, no, no, no plugs required. Um, but, you know, we're always open to talk to people who are interested. Um, and I, you know, will speak to several people on a weekly basis and, and, and you know, just talk them through the process of, of starting to invest in forestry and what they should look out for. Um, research it as thoroughly as you can. You know, Google Forestry Investment Scotland. You know, you know, look into as much background detail um, as you possibly can about the asset class itself. And you know, a lot of what we've talked about here, liquidity, um, purchase price, how much will you get for the for the sum of money you have. You know, they're all really important things to understand because 
you know, people often think, you know, fifty thousand pounds, you know, it's a, it's a woodland, you know, it can't be that expensive. I can I can get a huge tract for fifty thousand, and then they they realise that commercial woodland selling for, you know, can be twenty thousand pounds a hectare, and you can walk around it in five minutes. So, um, you know, they need to be, you know, you need to have your your reality sort of um, calibrated. Um, I would say to an extent. Really important to understand your 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 objectives and end goals or have somebody help you understand what your objectives and end goals can be um, because you know if it's a long-term hold for IHT you know would you flip it in five years if the neighbour gives you an extremely good offer for it or will you hold it in perpetuity for IHT purposes uh, you know so there's a lot of different things to consider um, when it comes down to the practical aspects of it get a good lawyer that understands rural transactions um, you know often we deal with people who want to use their, 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 their normal family lawyer who doesn't understand um, forestry doesn't understand rural transactions and it's it is a very very specialist field and um, and whilst we can guide somebody um, you know in the in the practical aspects of it that you know it's really important that they have good legal advice and again, the, the, the coverall caveat, as you mentioned earlier on, you know, when it comes to tax and accountancy, speak to your accountant, speak to your tax advisor, because this is a very specialist field as far as tax is concerned. Um, so you need, to, you need to get all your ducks lined up. Some final thoughts then on the future of the industry. And, and I maybe should have said this at the start, but actually the vast majority of our listeners are not in Scotland. Um, we have a lot of listeners in England and, and out with that in other countries. But what are your, your final thoughts on the industry, both for Scotland and, and, and internationally? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I think if you discuss forestry, you have to look at it as a global, a global asset. Um, you know, the, 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 the global impacts on forestry are huge. Um, we deal with, uh, you know, a lot of investors from uh, the Far East, just through connections that we've had for many years, um, predominantly expats, predominantly Scots, um, you know, investing in forestry in, in the UK. Um, and you know when you start to look at the, the global context of woodland and forestry, it, it you know it's quite astounding. You look at you know the Belt and Road Initiative in China and the, the, the you know the, the look to drive that um, that that trade route um, you know through from through from the east through uh, through Western Europe into Eastern Europe. You know that long term has huge potential to start interfering with our normal supply chains of, of timber into the UK. Um, 80% of our timber comes from Northern Europe, Scandinavia. Um, so, you know, if, if that has an easier route or a better route out to the east, then that could really have an impact on us. Global population set to increase to 10 billion by 2050. In the same sort of time scale, we're looking at um, timber demand tripling by, uh, by 2050 in, in, you know, across the world. You know, so we've got huge, huge drivers, um, you know, for timber use. With what happened to forestry in the in the late 80s and the, the cessation of the the tax advantages that were available at that point, there was a, a massive drop off in planting, um, and we went from planting 33,000 hectares per year, leading up to uh, 1988, down to 3,000 hectares in 2010, and that has created a real vacuum of timber availability in the UK going forward. So really what we see is, is anything that's planted now and anything that's been planted really in the last 10 years is going to benefit from coming into that period of undersupply. Um, and you know, we see that as a really strong driver for value in, in, in timber products. 
and when you when you take that along with um, the UK house building targets, um, 300,000 houses per year by 2025, which is not going to happen, but it's a target, it's an aspiration that the government have. And the fact that a lot more of that housing is going to be, um, is going to utilize timber. You know, timber is the only building product, commercially available timber product that physically locks up carbon um, in, the, in the process of, of manufacture and, and construction. You know, that's a huge selling point for the product that we produce in commercial timber. Um, you know, we, we haven't really touched on carbon. We haven't touched on carbon at all in this, in this discussion, and that could be a, a whole separate podcast. Um, but the carbon drivers and the, and the, and the carbon um, cycle is becoming an extremely important aspect of what we do in forestry. And, you know, the, the, the UK government, the Scottish government are looking at it extremely closely, as are governments and industries through, all throughout the world. So, you know, we've got a huge potential there, um, which is pretty much untapped at the current. Brilliant. And it's interesting to think about supply and demand and how um, difficult with timber it is to suddenly create some supply for demand. So it's definitely about anticipating that demand. But there are yeah. so many things pointing at the timber industry, as you say, both from a, a green point of view and a carbon point of view, but also um, there's the whole amenity thing we were talking about earlier on, the, the love of wood and timber and nature and how people are starting to see how they can involve more natural products in their homes and their lives. It, it's, it, there's so many things pointing in the right direction for this industry. Uh, just a yeah. quick question for you, if I may, Dave. How, what's the sort of percentage of buyers that are based outside of Scotland for the sales that you're involved in? Probably outside, outside the UK, um, I would say less than 10%, probably. Um, or maybe you know, 10, 10%, perhaps. Um, you know, there's, there's not a huge amount of investment um, coming in. We, you know, we have investors, as I say, you know, um, Far East Hong Kong direction, but they're mostly expats, although they're, they're based in Hong Kong, they are, they're intending to repatriate back to the UK. Um, we've got a lot of investors south of the border investing in Scottish forestry. And as I say, you, Scotland, when we talk about investment forestry in the UK, really we are talking about investment forestry in yes. uh, Scotland. Um, you know, they're, they're one and the same thing. Um, European investors, you know, we're certainly working with European investors and, and there always has been a strong linkage to sort of Scandinavian investment and sort of Northern European Scandinavian investment in, in the UK. And a lot of that was driven initially by, by hunting, by deer shooting, by hunting and the love of the countryside as such um, and that it was possible to buy forestry assets here where it wasn't possible to buy forestry assets to, uh, to hunt in, in in Scandinavia. So we've seen a lot of a lot of these sort of owners come and go over the over the years so there is you know there is still in, there is still involvement and interest but a lot of what we're doing is 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 homegrown investment yeah um, and it's 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 people starting with what they see as being a, a sort of a, a romantic project to buy a forest and then it develops into something else and it develops into something that they they really enjoy you know they enjoy the um you know, the, the site visits and the reporting and and you know the, the it's the kind of thing, you know, certainly at the moment that, that people really miss is, is actually coming to meet our forest managers and to go and visit their assets. 
um, you know, it becomes something that people are very passionate about. Um, so, so much so that we've now started making videos for, for, uh, for clients of, of site visits so we can uh, actually show them what we're doing and what we've done and uh, giving them that overview from a distance. Uh, while they can't travel, so it's, uh, it's lots it's of drones, lots of drone time, I would imagine. Lots of drones and too yeah. much forestry faces kicking around, but indeed, no, it's so, interesting. Well, having been brought up in the Highlands and, and you're living up there now, I'm not up there as much just now, but we have seen these landowners come and go that have come for perhaps more of the the lifestyle, but underneath there is a very serious business of forestry. It's, it's been great to have you on here, Dave. Thank you. Could you maybe tell us where people can find out about you or the work you do at Scottish Woodlands? Where, where can they find yeah, you? Absolutely. Um, our website, www.scottishwoodlands.co.uk, um, that gives you an outline of our management services, but if you filter through there to the, um, to the investment pages, you'll have a, a direct link to me. Um, and you'll also find me on uh, Twitter at, at @dbrforest um, and Scottish Woodlands at Scott Woodland. Um, so if you if you follow us on Twitter, we quite regularly update on, on what's happening in the industry as well. And you can obviously track me down, David Robertson, through LinkedIn as well for, uh, for any information. Excellent, thank you. Well, we will put all that in the uh, blurb at the bottom of the podcast, so people will be able to Excellent. have a look down there and, and pick it out. Uh, so there we have it then. Big thanks to you, Dave, for sharing your time today. I hope you as the listeners have found this interview informative and inspirational. I hope also you've had a good week and you've managed to move forward since last week. This episode is a really exciting asset class, but a word of caution. You need to work out if it's going to help you with your journey. Don't go flying off in search of the next shiny penny. As Dave says, you need to seek professional advice. Make sure you're thinking through your overall strategy. I have to say though, personally, I can't wait to get back into forestry again, partly because I love the stuff, but I I have to remind myself it's part of a balanced approach. Remember, in commercial property investment, we're always fundamentally investing in space. It's what you do with the space that can add the value. So thanks all for your reviews and private messages of encouragement over the last week. It means a lot to us. Have a great week and we'll speak to you again.